that being said, the, the technology aspect of it is, is, is mind-boggling, and you always have to be a specialist in that to really take advantage of it in, in a given area. Well, Steve, I, I know this is kind of dumbing it down, but I think, you know, with a lot of listeners too, and I think a lot of what we'd be doing with this podcast is just educating people. Um, can you give like just the high picture of, you know, and breaking down why no-till and, and the cover mm-hmm. crops and kind of what the process there is just for people that haven't had any exposure to this? Well, first of all, it's a great question because you need to have a why. Yeah. If you're just doing it because you read about all this stuff in magazines or maybe just because your neighbor's doing it, uh, no-till or cover crops, they're they're one and the same in that dynamic. you got to have a reason because you will fail. Uh, you just will. And, and I, I've kind of turned into more pragmatic approach. I'm not a cheerleader, uh, and that's why I call my business cover crop coaching. I'll say I'm more of a coach on the field of the players because you're going to need help. And I always tell farmers the best thing that they can do is to find a mentor. Uh, someone in their local area is ideal. If they're not there, you know, go go to wherever that someone is that at least you can kind of relate to. Or you can pick up the phone, text, email, whatever. Uh, when you because you will have questions. This this is biology we're talking about here. It's not a prescription that we just all hand out to everybody and boom, there it is. That's your success map. Uh, everyone's going to have to learn. I think farmers too have lost the art of farming and um, that needs to get back into the culture of agriculture. I'm not against crop scouts and independent consultants and stuff like that. We, we need those people, but some farmers have just left that up to other people who really don't know their fields like mm-hmm. they do. And, and, you know, sometimes there's products being sold tied to that. That's okay, but you got to be aware of, you know, is that really the best for your soil and your long-term regenerative goals? Uh, so I think um, understanding why you're doing no-till, why are you doing cover crops? And I mentioned extreme. Our Amish neighbors, they have a reason like most people don't. Mm-hmm. It helps them cover more land uh, quicker, and that's generally not an issue for most non-Amish farmers. Uh, and everybody has their reasons. I mean, I've, I've been to Australia where they're doing no-till, and I might add using cover crops because it's so dry. And But they got to be more strategic uh, using cover crops because you can steal moisture from your cash crop. Um, and I love this example. Uh, Mon- uh, Wayne, you're going to like this. I might have told you this before. <laughs> but I met a Montana farmer once, and uh, it was one of those years where it was a, it was a very good, I'll say, wetter-than-normal year in Montana. And he's, he was at a meeting and said, now I know why you guys in the East like your cover crops because we had a lot of rain this summer. And he said, uh, you know, we, we had this great cover crop stand. It's going to really be good for my soil and everything. And I said, well, yeah. I said, you may not get that for another 10 years, but when it happens, you want to be ready because you don't have the many opportunities, but you want to be ready because you can do a lot in one year. Mm-hmm. And his comment was, in true Montana form, yeah, you got to have your pistol cocked. so you got to have your pistol cocked uh meaning you got to be ready it doesn't matter where you live on this planet because cover crops are like cash crops you can't pick the date you're going to start planting corn no you can plant an average window but you can't pick the date you may or may not be right uh you could be but strategically probably not 
<laughs> with cover crops is if you treat your cover crops like your cash crops. And this is a statement I'm, I'm known for saying, treat your cover crops like your cash crops. You will stand a better chance of success. And too many times the mindset is, oh, it's just a cover crop. Or the government pays for it. I'm just going to throw the seeds out there, collect the check, and hope a few of them grow. And that that mindset maybe sounds okay if you're just strict, strictly thinking business. But if you're thinking about changing the dynamics of your field, of regenerating your field, of changing the soil health, that ain't going to work. You don't do that with your cash crops. Um, so yeah. there's just a few things. You have to know what your objectives are, Slade. And, and then you have to learn how to do that in your context. I, I get up in front of, you know, I'll, I'll be a thousand miles from home and I'll get up. And the first thing I'll say is I'm not here to tell you how to farm because I don't know how to farm in your area. It would, it would take me some time to learn how to farm. I'm here to inspire you, to help you, to answer some questions. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, but also to encourage you guys. A lot of times I'll say the answers to your problems are right here in the room. You need to figure them out. Steve, Steve, you've written a book called The Future Proof Farm. Right. And one of the reviews I'm looking at, I was looking up some reviews while you were talking. It says, um, I saw so much of it with my, you know, every part of the story that Steve tells in this book rings true to me. I saw so much of it with my own eyes since I first met Steve planting no-till potatoes in his kitchen garden. <laughs> I got to keep that. I think it's Dr. Ray Wow, is it not? Planting was that no-till... Dr. Ray Wow? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I have to I have to dig into it here, but um, right. but yeah. Well, um... I did that. I'm guilty as charged, um, and that was again the, the garden. Okay, yeah. it's, I'm not saying that can be done on a thousand acres. Okay, but I tried. Well, I, I think I think you know one of the things I'm picking up from just looking at the your, your book re, the book reviews and different things and hearing you talk is that you know no till is is not just a black and white strategy. It is a strategy that fits you and your farm and your needs to improve your crop, improve the soil, improve everything. And that could be something as simple as practicing no till in your kitchen garden, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. You, you know, growing potatoes in your kitchen uh, or kitchen garden uh, all the way to thousands of acres. And so, uh, yeah. so you, you know, it's interesting to hear you say that. I, it, it gives you a new way of looking at it. Well, I always tell people that the, the first thing you do when you want to become a no-till farmer is not to buy a no-till planter. That's down <laughs> the list. The first thing you do is educate yourself on how to do it. And I use the analogy, and I mentioned this in the book, um, it's like going from being a nurse to a surgeon. Uh, it's it's a it's a whole different it's a whole different ball game. Fertility, weed control, all these things are huge. It's not just buying the best no-till planter. Um, you you need to understand the system. It's not yeah. just putting the missing puzzle piece in the puzzle. It's rearranging the picture because everything affects everything else, and that's the thing that doesn't always come through in a magazine article that profiles a case study or profiles a farmer. Yeah. So mindsets um, is, is really where the first, first transition needs to occur. Uh, you have to have a different mindset as far as your approach to growing food. And we've lost a lot of that in our agriculture heritage in the past mm-hmm. 50, 60, 70 years. Uh, and, and I like to use this example too. Typically in agriculture, 
you wake up in the morning and you think about what do I need to kill today? <laughs> What's attacking my crop? And that's our, and then what product is it going to, you know, help me kill that disease or kill that insect? That's our mindset. If you look at regenerative agriculture, that doesn't work. The mindset needs to be, how can I bring more life into my operation? How can I use nature? How can I bring uh, more life to better uh, give my plants a chance uh, mm -hmm. to survive an insect? Uh, because, you know, inviting other insects. See, we've, we violated principles of nature. Mm -hmm. And now we're paying the price by unhealthy food is what I'm going to say. Uh, and when you, when you, people say, you know, well, you got to grow this food in an economical way so people can afford it. Yeah. But look what we're paying for healthcare these days. <laughs> and I'm not saying that growing healthy food is going to eliminate doctors. I'm not saying that. Uh, but I'm telling you one thing, it could help. And, uh, that's where, that's where the discussion needs to go. Uh, and, and I, I, I ask, I ask people in my meetings, how many of you have had your doctor visit your farm? Well, most of nobody ever thought of that before. Well, I have. Uh, number one, the doctor we go to now, I don't show up there very often until my wife makes me, but very often. Um, uh, actually, I got to say, we went, we wanted to learn a bit about nutrition. I lost some pounds here the last two years. and But but honestly, I invite, he was intrigued with what I was doing in the farm. He came on a Sunday afternoon to visit my farm. I got a picture of him. And I'd, hate, told, to, I'd I'm, hate to see that. I'd hate to see that medical bill. <laughs> <laughs> no it was just it's just good there are a few doctors out there that understand the importance of diet and food and the way it's grown uh and i'm going to say another bold statement that if farmers would get paid for the quality of their food they grow uh that would be a game changer because farmers would adapt to that right now we get paid on yield almost everything is on yield there's a little quality control you know you need to have but mm -hmm. most everything's paid on yield that's why we need nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, a few other minor elements. We need all these inputs to make this huge yield because that's what you get paid. Uh, I would propose, if we could, it ain't going to happen next year, but if we could, to get paid on quality. Uh, and I'm not just talking about vitamins and minerals. I'm talking about antioxidants and stuff like that, all those things that can make a person healthier. Uh, that's if we could do that. Big, big goal, but yeah. that's where we need to be talking about. That's where the discussion needs to lie. Because that affects every person on the planet. Yep, that's exactly uh, Because we right. all want to be healthier. Slade, you so. deal with a lot of farmers and landowners and people buying farms that are not farmers, correct? Correct. Steve, what would you say to landowners who are not farm, who do not have a farm background that are buying farms? Because we're seeing quite a bit of that. What would you say to them when it comes to renting that land out or selecting somebody to manage it or run it? For them? What, what advice would you have for them? Generally fall into two categories. One category is who's going to pay me the most rent. That's a business mentality. Okay, fair enough. The other one is, okay, I got this property here. I really concerned about some stuff. I would like that farmer to grow things in a way that actually enhances the soil. Hmm. Uh, and, 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 you know, sometimes it's difficult to find a farmer who even understands how to do that. Other times you'll have a farmer who's like, yep, I'm doing it. Um, so ideally, you want to have, uh, you know, the ideal scenario is a farmer that can manage that in the way that the land owner would want if that's what they want to do. A uh, quick example, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. People in the community around here know me. They see articles in the paper and so forth. 
uh, about 10 years ago, I had, uh, over a period of a couple of years, I had five different farm owners, non-farm owners that contacted me within, I'm thinking here, about eight miles of my place that said, Steve, we'd like you to farm our land because we know the way you farm it. Now, cumulative, it was only 100 acres, right? But the point being, the point being is they wanted me to farm it because of my reputation and the way I did it because they cared about the soil. And half that land, 50 acres, no rent. Just because, honestly, they didn't need the money. They just wanted their land to be taken care of and probably so they could, you know, brag to their buddies that what we're doing all. So that was kind of cool. Um, now, I, I have to tell you the follow-up story is in, in a business decision on my end, I gave that up a couple of years ago because I wanted to focus a lot more research on what I'm doing here on my farm. So I no longer have those acres. I did I did give them up. Kind of, it was, I was reluctant because I kind of felt bad in a little bit, but I can only do so much here. So yeah. But that's a cool story because, you know, there's an example there where some landowners do care. But this whole I, this whole deal of non-farm or absentee landlords, all this stuff, it's a huge barrier out there uh, in, in depending on which side you're on. Uh, and it's something that there's no easy solution to. So, Interesting. It is pretty neat. Well, I don't know if anybody else has any questions for Steve, but um, Steve, we thank you for coming on and telling us a little bit about that. Yeah. We're just yeah, some I, guys having... Thank you. Here. Thank you, Steve. Um, I would like to, once we put this podcast out, to put it out to ask questions that, mm-hmm. you know, from viewers and audience that, you know, they would like to ask and uh, have you back on again and essentially collect those questions and, and whatnot yeah. and come back and uh, uh, explore this a little bit further because I think, uh, I think, you know, when we share this, sharing some links to your website, but different things, talking about the uh, yeah. hemp like we touched on, I yeah. think that would be a good follow-up. So we'll have a follow-up conversation um, and, and explore some of those questions and, and dive into the hemp stuff a little bit more because I think that would be interesting to a lot of the um, the blockchain community uh, and, and, you oh, know, yeah. uh, and opportunities that, are, you know, may exist for that space in the future. So uh, Yeah, I don't um, know if I mentioned it, but carbon – yeah, I was going to say credits, that's all. That's that another either. podcast right there. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah. that is coming. To, that is the wild, wild west right now. Uh, but it's going to be a thing, and there are there are some opportunities that are maturing that, uh, especially in what what you guys are involved with, that I think can be very significant in in, in managing that opportunity. Yeah, so I think maybe we'll put that, put it out there and ask for some questions that people like to ask, mm-hmm. and then to take those and and since we aggregate those into a list, and when we come back and talk again, we'll. We'll ask those questions. All right. Yeah. No, that's yeah. good. Steve, where can people get a hold of you if they need to? Uh, SteveGroff.com. Um, just my name, SteveGroff.com. Um, and um, I'll just give a shout out for my CBD business at CedarMeadow.farm. CedarMeadow.farm. Um, but just to get to know me a little bit better. And then I have a book on SteveGroff.com. If you're interested in that, you'll find it there. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you yeah. very much, Steve, for joining us for this um, podcast today. We really appreciate you taking time. Yeah. You're still farming in there, I'm sure. So it's probably yes, busy sir. time of the year yet. But still thanks is. again for joining us. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank yeah. you. See ya. See ya.